This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Hey, listen, so if you're sitting there this week going, I actually don't really know what to practice uh, to improve my jazz playing this week. Well, this episode is going to leave you with zero excuses because I'm going to go over 21 different ideas for you to practice today. And at the end of the episode, I'll also give you the ones that I personally would focus on. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz, all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Now, we all struggle from time to time wondering what we should actually be practicing or things that we could practice, right? Because, you know, there are a lot of different places you could be in your jazz playing right now. There might be something that would be more valuable for you personally to practice now than something else. And so today's episode is really just about giving you some ideas. And I did this back way, way, way back in episode 36, and I shared 14. I'm going to share 21 today. And I have done a, a YouTube video of this before. If, if you're someone who's followed my YouTube channel, this one is buried somewhere way back there. So I wanted to kind of bring this one back to the surface here, but also kind of uh, give it a little more life, this list, kind of show you a few things that I would do in regards to the 21 different ideas. And again, at the end of the episode, sharing which ones I personally would focus most on to really improve. Uh, some of these will be a surprise, some not so much. But uh, yeah, so we're going to go over this list of 21 in just a second. Of course, we do have to thank our sponsor, right? Our sponsor, which is always our very own LJS Inner Circle membership. Speaking of practicing, if you're like, hey, I want to have something to practice that will really get me results in a goal-oriented, step-by-step oriented way, then we have all of that in our LGS Inner Circle membership, whether it be our monthly jazz standard study where we learn one new jazz standard a month and all the resources and materials you need to do that, or one of our practice program courses, which helps you attain a goal like mastering jazz blues or mastering rhythm changes, or it could be one of our basics 101 courses that helps fill the gaps in your musical knowledge. We have all the stuff you possibly need to practice, but practice with a purpose. So today is the day, my friend. This is the day where you check out the LJS Inner Circle membership and you sign up. So ljsinnercircle.com. We'll look forward to seeing you on the inside. All right, on to these 21 things to practice. Okay, okay, okay. So let's go over the very first thing that you can practice 
So number one is scales. Number one is scales. So uh, if you were are someone who is like, hey, you know, I feel like my technique right now is lacking a little bit, or you just feel like you don't have a lot of time to practice today, but just getting your fingers warm again is what you want to do then scales is a great idea to practice. So whether it just be, you know, working on your major scales in all 12 keys. Right, that would be a great idea. Take your scales into all 12 keys. Perhaps it's a scale that you're not that good at. So like, let's say that you're trying to work on what to play over top of a half diminished chord, okay? So it's a minor seven flat five chord, kind of a weird chord to think about. Well, the scale you can play over top of that is the Locrian mode, okay? So maybe you're not that hip to your Locrian modes, right? We can work on the Locrian mode in all 12 keys or whatever have you and associate that with the chord. So Scales to me are great practice for, again, technique. So for example, after you've just played the scale linearly, you can go ahead and add a pattern like uh, skipping thirds like this. Right, so that is really working your technique and that actually does apply directly to jazz improvisation because one of the challenges of improvisation is being able to move intervals on your instrument comfortably, working on patterns using scales as the device is a great idea. So that's number one, scales. Number two, arpeggios, okay, arpeggios. So work on spelling out different chords playing arpeggios. So it could be that you just don't really know all of your arpeggios in the first place, like, hey, what's a dominant seventh arpeggio? Right, making sure that you can actually spell all of the are the different arpeggios of the seven or sorry the five not the seven the five qualities of seventh chords right which would be major minor dominant seventh half diminished and fully diminished seventh like making sure that you can do those in the first place and ideally doing them in all 12 keys but then you could practice actually connecting arpeggios together with chords so like a chord progression rather so you have a two five one in b flat major well you could go go up that minor two chord and then up the dominant seventh chord and then down the major seventh chord right and doing it slowly like that and then bringing it up to speed eventually. So you can practice arpeggios in the context of them by themselves over just static chords and playing them in different positions on your instrument. If you're a, a, an instrument like a guitar player who needs to do that um, or different octaves or registers, if you're a horn player, that could be helpful, right? Or again, with the context of connecting them together in, a, in the, the terms of a, a chord progression. So number two is arpeggios. Okay, number three is enclosure patterns. Okay, enclosure patterns. Now, for those who don't know what an enclosure pattern is, this is something that beboppers do, really jazz musicians do all the time. And the idea of an enclosure is we have a what's called a target note, okay? And if you listen to the podcast for a while, you probably heard me talk about this before, but we have a target note. So this is a G seventh chord, and that's the third that I'm playing. And the third is a great target note because the third of any chord really helps spell out what 
quality of chord that is, which is what helps you sound like you're playing the actual changes. So what beboppers will do, what jazz musicians will do is they'll say, okay, this third is my target note in my line. How can I approach this target note? So we use what we call approach tones. Okay, approach tones, which are essentially what they sound like. They're approaching the target note. So an enclosure basically approaches the target note by going a note above in pitch from the target note, a note below in pitch from the target note, and then arriving at the target note. So, right, that was targeting an enclosure, using an enclosure to target the third of a G7 chord, right? So, for example, in the case of like a 2-5-1, we could practice targeting the third of every single chord using enclosure. So, over top of a D minor 7-2 chord, right? That's an enclosure to the third, then enclosing the third on the G7, and then, right, or would be a better one for C major seven, the one chord. That's just the very basics of enclosure, but what you can also do is compose more full, fully fleshed out jazz lines that would include the concept of enclosure, right? So it's really focusing in on a really essential bebop concept, at least from a theoretical standpoint, and trying to see if you can get your fingers, your ears, your muscle memory used to playing those kinds of patterns, which will kind of help you really play bebop jazz language, right? At least at a very basic level. So number three is enclosure. Okay, number four is minor pentatonics. Minor pentatonics. Okay, so um, a lot of us know minor pentatonics, uh, especially the guitar players. Everybody knows them. So, right? And we all, a lot of us know the cousin to the minor pentatonic, which is the blues scale. I, I just think the, the blues scale is really just a minor pentatonic with a sharp four in it, right? So here's the thing though. A lot of us, are either not familiar with how to play pentatonics um, outside, like if you're a guitar player, for example, outside one particular shape. So you're going to want to be able to play a pentatonic anywhere on the instrument. Um, or we're using pentatonics in a very linear motion, right? So the... And, and while the pentatonic is a kind of a naturally musical scale, if we're just playing a pentatonic scale like a scale we're kind of defeating the purpose of creating music so what you can do though is you can for example practice a blues and try to think of musical ways to use the pentatonic scale so like Right. Actually experiment with playing different kinds of melodies and scrambling up those notes, right? Um, changing the pentatonic you're playing depending on what chord you're improvising over. So 
exploring pentatonics further is a great idea. Now, if you're a little bit more advanced, right, you can think about like, well, what are some different applications of the pentatonic scale outside of perhaps the blues? So one fun one I always like to talk about, and by the way, I learned this from the the late, great Vic Juris, who was actually, um, uh, I studied with him a little bit when I was in college. I would go out to his house in uh, in New Jersey. I would take the train from New York to New Jersey and, and study with him. Anyways, one cool little trick is, let's just say you have a two, five, one in C major. Well, over top of that two chord, the D minor seventh chord, you could play an A minor pentatonic scale, right? So that's an interesting application of the pentatonic over top of the two chord, the D minor, right? Right now, over top of the five chord, you can actually just move your pentatonic up a half step. So now we're playing a B flat minor pentatonic, right? And basically, what that sounds like it sounds like you're playing an altered G7 chord, right? So a B flat minor pentatonic sounds like an altered G7 chord, right? So kind of cool, right? It's very patternistic and easy to think about and then when you get to the one chord you can move up that pentatonic another half step so now you're at a b minor pentatonic right and what it's going to sound like when you play that is like you're playing a major seven sharp 11 chord right but it sounds really cool so it's a very modern thing to do Right. So, I mean, if you can work on minor pentatonic application, if you know some interesting theory and can practice that stuff too. So that's number four, minor pentatonic application. Okay. Number five, let's just say that you are not anywhere near your instrument. Okay. Well, you could practice interval recognition, right? Or even if you do have your instrument, right? Interval recognition, like you could play this note and go, what is the major six? Duh. Right. Duh. Okay, um, so that that's what you can do that as well. Like you could do this anywhere. You could do this in the car, right? And you hear a sound somewhere. You could sing any note, like, and then you could say, um, I don't know, sing a fourth, right? So you can do this all on your own without an instrument. So that's number five, interval recognition. By the way, quickly, like, well, why would you even want to do this? Is this a waste of time as far as using your time to practice? Um, no, I don't think interval recognition is a waste of time. It is basically working on the fundamentals of improving your ear. Um, so think of it as like the alphabet or the grammar of ear training. That's what it helps you with interval recognition or recognizing chord qualities or being able to sing arpeggios of chords, different stuff like that. So the, the basics of ear training, or I call them ear training fundamentals, are certainly helpful to have. Now, I'm we're going to be coming out with a quick win episode of the podcast um, in, in uh, about a month or so, I think. Uh, and it's going to talk a little bit about what the best ear training for jazz is. 
So make sure you subscribe to the podcast or subscribe to the YouTube channel because the quick win episodes are also um, similar, similar, if not the same to what we have going on on YouTube as well. But um, so I'll talk a little bit more about that in the future. But that being said, interval recognition is still a great way to spend your time. Okay. Number six is learn a lick by ear. Okay. Learn a lick by ear. You can do this at any point in time while you're listening to jazz and you hear um, Bill Evans play a really cool line and you can just learn it by ear, right? So loop that over and over again, use a slow downer if you need to, but that's a good day's work. If you ask me, like if the only thing you, you do in one day of practice is learn a lick, then well done, right? You learned a new piece of jazz language that hopefully you can get some inspiration from. Um, learning licks or or solos or any of that stuff, really what you're doing is you're learning a phrase you've never heard before, right? So if I'm trying to learn another language, I need to hear someone say a sentence to me in order to even know that it exists or know that I could put that string of words together in that particular way, right? So that's kind of what learning a lick is too. It's like, oh, this is how um, Sonny Stitt would say this over top of a dominant seventh chord or a two, five, one chord progression, right? And learning that information or Dexter Gordon, well, he does it a completely different way, different style, different phrasing, everything, right? It's just getting that into your ear and understanding it. Not necessarily that you would play it verbatim, but learning a lick is always a great idea. And again, I always recommend doing it by ear because we don't really want to be thinking about reading when we're improvising, right? We're not doing that. We're just kind of responding. And so learning by ear is a better way to memorize, but also just really exercising the muscle that we're trying to exercise for jazz improvisation. Okay. Number seven is take musical phrases into all 12 keys. Yes, 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 yes. It is never a bad idea to take that lick you just learned into all 12 keys, right? right? That's my little pet altered lick that I always teach with. Taking it through all 12 keys, right? Because when we take things into all 12 keys, well, not only are we practicing repetition, repetition helps ingrain musical ideas, but we're also making sure that we're flexible to play this musical idea anywhere on our instrument. Also, it's improving our ears, right? Because basically when you're trying to learn the line in another key, you're having to hear the sound of that musical line in the original key first, right? Um, I wouldn't recommend, by the way, like actually transposing it and writing it down and then reading it. That would be to me not beneficial or not as beneficial. So it's really just doing this all by ear. Like once you can hear it in concert C, uh, right? Okay, once you can hear it there, it's like, okay, can I hear it in A flat? Right? Figuring it out note by note that way is a great idea. That's really exercising all, it's like kind of like swimming, right? Like they always say swimming. It's like one of the best exercises you can do because it's working like a lot of different parts of your body all at once. 
So that's kind of what taking stuff into all 12 keys is also doing there. Okay. So number seven, take a musical phrase into all 12 keys. Okay. Number eight, learn how to play a jazz solo by ear, a jazz solo. So I often talk about when we're learning jazz language, there's this micro jazz language and the macro jazz language. So the micro is learning a lick, right? And again, I talked about why that's beneficial. Like it's like learning a sentence, right? But learning a solo is macro or even just one chorus of a solo. Like let's just say it's a 32 bar form. Learning a 32 bar uh, part, so one chorus of a jazz solo, that's macro. And the benefit of macro is you're really learning more context to how a certain musician approached a jazz standard, right? So this is how Thelonious Monk approaches rhythm changes, right? Oh, he, he, he plays this. Oh, this is how Thelonious Monk developed his solo, right? So we're not looking at just him playing one line, we're seeing, well, what did he do in response to that one line that he played? Basically, it's like getting inside the he- their head. And in our Inner Circle membership, um, in some of our courses, we really do talk about learning solos by ear, particularly our 30 Steps to Better Jazz Playing course, which like one of the main things we have students do is like learn a jazz solo by ear. Like That's like one of the big goals for the end of the course. And pretty much everybody is always like, whoa, now I know, like, first of all, wow, Miles Davis is actually a genius, right? Because once you start learning a whole solo, you're like, wow, how did they come up with this stuff? Like, how do they actually improvise this? Um, But wow, I feel like I know I'm inside of Miles Davis's head. It's like you're downloading Miles Davis into into your brain it's it's an amazing feeling and so that's what learning a solo can be useful for because it can help you start thinking about decisions you might make to develop a solo and help you understand how do you craft a good solo right and learn a new jazz language at the same time so that's number eight learn how to play a jazz solo by ear okay number nine learn a jazz standard learn a jazz standard um this is a big one this is a really big one um, and, and if you've been listening to this podcast for any time, you know that I just, I mean, that's what what the, what the what my brand is called, Learn Jazz Standards, right? That's the name of, of my company. So Learn Jazz Standards, why would you learn jazz standards? It's kind of obvious, right? When we're talking about learning jazz, it's like, well, jazz has a certain set of repertoire, right? We call them jazz standards, the tunes that everybody's playing. So if you don't know jazz standards, then it's pretty hard to play jazz, honestly, um, it's even pretty hard to compose your own jazz style tunes if you don't know jazz standards, right? You have to study it. And again, I'll always go back to the quote my um, one of my jazz uh, heroes, Peter Bernstein, who I studied with, once told me, he said, I let the tunes teach me how to play. The tunes taught me how to play. The more jazz standards you learn, the more harmonic context you explore, the more you hear the same kinds of chord progressions in musical language over and over again, the more that resonates, the more that ingrains, you're just going to get better and better, right? So you're learning more harmonic playgrounds to explore, right? Um, So you could never go wrong learning a jazz standard, right? And it could just be today you're going to learn part of the melody of a jazz standard, right? And then the next week you'll learn the chord changes to the jazz standard. And the next week you'll you'll work on a 32-bar solo of the jazz standard. And then the next week after that, you'll work on 
actually improvising over it. That's very similar to what we do in our jazz standards club in our inner circle membership, where we learn a new uh, jazz standard every single month. Um, so that could be what that means to you. Like it doesn't mean learn an entire jazz standard in one day. It could just mean that's what I'm going to do for one month. Right. So that's always a good thing to do. So number nine is learn a jazz standard. All right. Number 10 is to learn a jazz standard. You already know in different keys. Okay. Learn a jazz standard. You already know in different keys. This is a really, 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 really good idea. So if you know how to play, um, let me think about it. If you know how to play autumn leaves, right? Right in, in, in the original key, right? Which would be G minor. Can you also play it in E minor, right? Like what are those chords? Right, two five to G G major, C major, and then two five to E minor. Right? Can you do that in other key? Now, wow! When we transpose jazz tunes, not only are again, it's like swimming. We're like working our ear. We're working our theoretical knowledge of the tune. Right? Do I know what a two five one is in G major? versus B flat major? Do I know what a two, five, one in E minor is versus G minor, right? So you're also working the theoretical side of your knowledge, making you think, right? You're exploring language on your instrument in a different way, right? It's I, it just like you literally cannot go wrong. Now, a great idea, by the way, is to take a blues into another key. So if you're like, well, a whole jazz standard, that sounds daunting. The blues is probably one of those song forms where I'm like, hey, you should probably at least have one time, if you're serious about jazz, at one point, practice the blues in all 12 keys. Um, that's another thing we do in our Jazz Blues Accelerator course in my Inner Circle membership. Um, I have to mention it because we do have all this available. But anyways... That would be a good thing to do in in 12 keys. But even if you just took one jazz standard into one other key, it could really open up some doors for you. Um, and of course, by the way, if you ever play with singers, this is a really helpful skill to have, okay? Transposing, okay? So that is learn a jazz standard you already know in different keys. Number 11 is, we talked about this a little bit, learn a jazz blues tune. So again, I mentioned the blues is an important song form that you need to know. It's the blues is kind of like the cornerstone of jazz. Like that's that's where jazz came from is blues and yes, European music, right? They kind of came together into this little um, you know, boiling pot of goodness back in New Orleans way back in the day, right? The early 1900s, uh which is when jazz was quote unquote born, right? I mean, it didn't just like exist like exist one day it's just like different styles of music they kind of just evolve into something right just like as jazz has evolved over the years as well but anyways i digress so learn the jazz blues too so ooh, i don't know tenor madness or hey okay I know a lot of B flat blueses. What about an E flat blues, right? Ooh, okay, E flat blues. So uh, let's learn Sandu. Right, that's an E flat blues. So 
great opportunity to play a blues in another key just simply by learning a different blues head in another key. So that's number 11, learn a jazz blues tune. Number 12 kind of goes along with this. It's learn a rhythm changes head. Learn a rhythm changes head. Again, uh, rhythm changes is one of the most important song forms along with the blues in jazz. And the reason that is, is because a lot of tunes, especially bebop tunes, are based off of rhythm changes, right? Rhythm changes, it's just referencing I Got Rhythm by George Gershwin. That was a tune George Gershwin wrote, I Got Rhythm. And then musicians took those chord changes and either played exactly the same chords and just put a different melody over top of it or just very made some minor adjustments to the chord changes, right? That's all. So like, I don't know, Olio. Right, learn Olio. Learn Anthropology learn uh, rhythming, learn whatever, right? Um, maybe even though a lot of rhythm changes are in the key of concert B flat, you could also try to learn um, a, a, like Apple Jump is a good one. It's in the key of F. It's a Dexter Gordon uh, rhythm changes you could learn. So you could learn a rhythm changes in a different key. Um, that's really helpful. Rhythm changes, by the way, is hard. Again, I have to mention it. We do have a rhythm changes accelerator course in our inner circle membership that could be helpful if you're someone who's a little challenged in the rhythm changes department. I know I have been. That's why it's like that's why I made the course. Anyways, rhythm changes head. Learn a rhythm changes head. Number 13, practice some jazz etudes. Practice some jazz etudes. Another thing that we do in our monthly jazz standard study is we we always have an etude composed. So again, you can learn jazz language. So for those who aren't um, familiar with what that means, like an etude is basically, in, at least when it comes to jazz, an etude is basically a jazz solo, right? It's just that it's been composed. And sometimes an etude is composed with a very specific purpose, right? Um, so again, instead of it being improvised per se, it's been composed. And a lot of times it's like, hey, um, like for example, when we compose our etudes for our inner circle members, it's usually the goal is to be like, this is how you can better play the chord changes. It's not always the goal, um, but usually we're trying to compose jazz etudes that help you play the chord changes better. Cause I, that, that really is like the fundamental you want to get down. And then after that, it's really just about learning how to express yourself on the instrument, learning how to make it your own. Um, learning the nuances of great phrasing and all that stuff, right? So, so that's really the only difference between a jazz etude and a solo, and perhaps there is no difference, right? Other than it's just been intentionally composed. So, if you have a, a, a book of etudes, that could be a great idea. Or again, if you have a resource like uh, our membership, then that could be a place to learn etudes. But you could never go wrong, even just learning part of an etude or making it a goal to learn an etude in one month. Like I, I always use the one month parameter because I think that's a pretty healthy amount of time to spend working on something before moving on to something else. So yeah, learn a jazz etude is number 13. Number 14 is compose your own jazz solo. This will sound like a broken record if you're a fan of the podcast. I always preach composing your own jazz solos because it gives you a chance to slow the process down so that you can think about what you would actually play if you were actually improvising. And on top of that, it kind of solidifies the jazz language you already know. So for example, you may have learned a jazz solo or a jazz etude by ear or however you've learned it. And the goal is never to play it verbatim. Like you don't ever want to just play that solo 
verbatim. It just that, that makes no sense and it's probably not going to sound natural and if you screw up at all you're going to be completely lost and you're going to have totally failed. Right? We don't want to do that. It's more like okay, what have I actually internalized or learned? And then by trying to create something of your own based off of that, you're you're really it's it's kind of like stretching. You're like doing an exercise a slightly different way or like CrossFit. I'm using exercise today a lot, like doing CrossFit. The idea of CrossFit, um, for those familiar is that you're never doing the same exercise, uh, 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 the next day, right? You're always switching up the exercise so that, yeah, you're still working some of the same muscle groups, but you're exercising them in a slightly different way. And that's what composing is doing for, you taking the musical language you've learned and applying it. So composing is something I really, really recommend doing. Number 15 is practice specific chord progressions. Okay. Practice specific chord progressions. So it's always a great idea just to isolate chord progressions, right? So instead of focusing on an entire jazz standard and improvising over it, make things easier on yourself just by practicing one chord progression, one, six, two, five, two, five, one, minor two, five, one. Those are popular jazz chord progressions that you'll want to master by themselves so that they're easier to do in a more uh, larger context, like an entire jazz standard or an entire section of a jazz standard. So great idea to do that. Just loop things over and over again and uh, practice specific chord progressions. Number 16 is similar, which is practice improvising over just one chord. So forget about chord progressions. Like how do we just improvise over top of a G major seventh chord? right? Practicing just one chord. I'm really not good at half diminished chords. How do I do that? I'm really not that great at dominant seventh chords. How do I do that? Not good at minor seventh chords, not good at diminished seventh chords, right? So just focusing on one chord and exploring that one chord. um, It's really a relieving thing to do that, right? To take that pressure off and just be like, I'm not very good at doing this. So let's just make it simple and work on one chord. So that's number 17. Or sorry, number 16. Number 17, though, is to write your own jazz lick. So we talked about composing your own jazz solo. You can also compose your own jazz lick. So again, that's like the micro and macro difference there. So the macro being composing your own jazz solo, the micro being composing your own jazz lick. So just one phrase, like two, five, one, let's really compose and think about what I would play over that two, five, one. Okay. Number 18 is to compose your own contrafact. Okay, what's a contrafact? So a contrafact is, it's very much so a jazz thing. In fact, I'm, I'm not even entirely sure where that terminology came from or if it even existed outside of jazz. Maybe it is, maybe it did. I'm only aware of it because of jazz. And a contrafact is basically um, taking an existing set of chord changes and adding a new melody over top of it. Like basically all rhythm changes tunes other than I got rhythm is a contrafact. It's taking an existing set of chord changes and composing a different melody over top of it. So this is a great idea because a melody is often a lot different than playing a solo, right? A melody, um, not always, especially if it's a bebop solo or a bebop melody, but it can be a lot simpler, but it's definitely thematic, right? It's definitely like, here's what we play during the A section. Here's what we play during the B section. We're playing it again, the A section again for the last day out, right? So composing a new melody is also a great idea. 
Um, and then it's just fun because now, like, if you go play a gig or something like that, it could be like, hey, you know, the chord changes, to, it could happen to you. Awesome. I'm playing a different melody over top of it, right? And you have your own melody. So that's a really cool thing you do. So that's number 18, compose your own contrafact. All right, just several more to go. Number 19, practice playing just the thirds and sevenths of a jazz standard chord progression. So thirds and sevenths, we call those the, the guide tones. That's the first uh, chords to... Um, all the things you are so the thirds and sevens would be like right so those are the thirds and sevens of the first little bit there of all the things you are so why identify the thirds and sevens okay why identify the guide tones the thirds and sevens are really what makes the difference between the different qualities of chords. And so jazz musicians are often targeting, we talked about enclosures earlier, but they're targeting thirds or sevenths. Um, and they're targeting other chord tones too, but thirds and sevenths are ones that especially make a chord pop out. So even just by me playing this, Right, you could hear the harmony moving just by me playing the thirds and sevenths, and I was voice leading them together, meaning I'm connecting them to the nearest guide tone. So in this particular case, right, I'm playing the third and the seventh of the F minor seven. That's the first chord of all the things you are, and then I'm playing the third and the seventh. So the seventh of the F minor voice leads naturally to the third of the next chord of the b minor seven flat uh, sorry just the b minor the b flat minor seven right so that's also a good thing to do but mostly it's just about mapping out the thirds and sevenths so that on your particular instrument you're getting used to targeting those or knowing where they are and what they sound like that's number 19 number 20 practice improvising over a jazz standard with a metronome okay so oftentimes um, we're going to backing tracks on YouTube or your Jamie Aversaw backing tracks and you're practicing improvising over the jazz standard, which is totally fine. Nothing wrong with that at all. Only thing about backing tracks is they don't really help you so much develop your own sense of time. Whereas a metronome is there to help you do that, right? So I'm not saying you always need to practice with a metronome. Definitely not saying you shouldn't practice with backing tracks, but what you a good thing to practice and why I'm even suggesting it is, okay, can I improvise over this jazz standard and not get lost with the click on all four beats? Right? Can I improvise over the jazz standard and not get lost and have it on beats one and three? Okay. Can I improvise and not get lost if I have the metronome on beats two and four? One. Right? So practicing that way is a great thing to do. You could always expand that one click per measure if you really want to start going crazy. But that's always a good practice because I do hear in a lot of jazz musicians, more beginner, novice jazz musicians, that sometimes they do have great melodic ideas. But the fact that their their internal clock, that their time is off, their rhythmic time is off, really makes it sound amateur. Whereas if they just clean that part up, 
their solos and their playing would sound exponentially better right away, right? So metronome is just one way to start practicing that. Not the only way, but one way. Okay, last but not least, number 21. Number 21. Now, again, let's say you don't have access to your instrument. Let's just say you're tired, right? Because sometimes you don't, you, we don't even want to play your instrument. That's totally okay. But you're still like, man, I just kind of wish I was improving a little bit. Okay, number 21 is listen to jazz. Listen to jazz. It's so simple. And for those who are a fan of jazz music, which is probably you listening to this podcast, it's an enjoyable thing to do is to listen to jazz. And so a lot of people say, well, that's not practicing. But to me, I will always say forever that listening to jazz is practicing. Like by listening to jazz, you're filling your brain up with musical ideas subconsciously or even consciously, right? Um, To give you an example, I've been listening to a lot more jazz recently because we've noticed, my wife and I have noticed that my daughter really likes music. So we're not just listening to jazz, but we're playing a lot of music for her, including jazz, for helping her to calm down if she's not you know, feeling very well or she's just agitated, right? So music really helps. And I've also been playing jazz for her, but that's another thing. The point is, is listening to jazz a lot more recently has helped me when I get back to my instrument just feel like I, I I know how to play more things or I feel more inspired, right? I don't feel quite as locked in to the same ideas I always played. This is especially true, by the way, when you go see a live jazz performance. Um, anyone who's ever been to a great live jazz performance and then went back home and played their instrument knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's almost as if you've unlocked a door and you're able to do so much more than you were before just from sheerly being exposed to hearing something that you want to play, to being like, oh, now that I see and hear someone actually doing what I'm trying to do, it's making a lot more sense to me, right? So number 21 is go and listen to jazz. that's all for today's show thank you thank you thank you thank you for listening do appreciate it hope that you found this beneficial today um i did mention like i would say which one i would focus on the most right so if i were you obviously it really depends on what you're struggling with today so i would really think about that like what are you struggling with what do you need to work on the most right and i also a few episodes ago talked about discovering your one thing that you should be practicing. And I sort of explained how it is definitely very personal. However, I always think that the number one thing you can do is to learn a new jazz standard, right? And then basically pile on top of that jazz standard over a period of time, like a month, different elements that would help you play that jazz standard better. So obviously learning the melody and the chords is what I'm talking about here, but you can also learn one chorus of an etude or a solo while you're studying that jazz standard, right? So simply just going, okay, here's a time frame I want to learn this jazz standard. Again, I'll use it one month as an example. I would learn the melody the first and the chords the first week. The second week, I would work on some technique, right? I would work on the arpeggios. We talked about that, but I'd work on the arpeggios, the chord tones of that jazz standard, right? That's high yield to me. The third week, I might be working on learning one chorus of this etude or a solo that 
it goes over top of this jazz standard. And the fourth week, I'll maybe just practice exclusively improvising over top of this jazz standard, right? That's a really good month of practice. That might be too ambitious for you. Like maybe your goal is just to do one of those things, right? Not even all of them. But that's just an example of how I always use jazz standards as the basis of my practice and then pile on other things that I think are helpful to help me better learn and play that jazz standard. So that's what I would do. By the way, again, we do all this in our LGS Inner Circle membership every single month. So if you have never checked out the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle, go to ljsinnercircle.com and uh, check it out. See if it's right fit for you and then join us over there. All right, we're gonna be coming out with another great quick win episode of the podcast this upcoming Friday. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you back then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.